All right, we are live. Welcome yeah. back to Decentralized Radio. What's up, man? Not much, dude. I'm making it. I'm making it work. I'm making it work today. Yeah, I was just inside, sort of, for like the last two and a half hours. So it's like I need to, I need to get outside. But I had to come on this sunny corner of my deck because of the wind and windy, windy Wyoming here. So yeah. I guess what we want to talk about is what what's the title? Bitcoin, Wyoming, and uh, decentralized hunting. living. Yep, decentralized living. So Ryan came up and visited me. So what did you think of Wyoming, Ryan? You know, it actually changed my perspective quite a bit because I had been through Wyoming, you know, several times traveling on eighty East to get back to Michigan to visit family or whatnot. But I hadn't really been many places in wyoming minus yellowstone a hand like a couple times uh but i never really got to experience say the culture or really drive around anywhere else besides cheyenne uh so it was cool to see the sort of maybe uh lesser known gems of uh wyoming sort of like your town is a very beautiful place i won't i won't say it by name to protect your your privacy <laughs> but uh it was great i mean i loved it it really uh, it really made me think about where i want to be um, and also I have to say this, um, I just got back from camping, but I noticed this in Wyoming too. I slept like the dead at your place. I was like out like a light. Um, and that was great. Yeah. I think, uh, it's such a huge difference from like the city, like being in Salt Lake, um, which is a pretty, you know, decently populated area and being out here, oh, <clears throat> being out okay. here, it's like, um, what um, I don't know how many people are in the Salt Lake area, like a million. Yeah, something like that. Like a whole third of the population is like in Salt Lake itself. I think the greater, like, yeah, it's metro area. Yeah. yeah. So for people who aren't aware, Wyoming, it's like five hundred fifty thousand, maybe. I think it's the least populated state, literally, in the entire mm-hmm. United States. And uh, you know, we we went down to Cheyenne as well. And for the longest time, I I thought Cheyenne was like you know a hundred thousand person city, but it's actually not as big as even I thought it was what it's like 60,000 or something. 60,000. Yeah. Yeah. Between, I guess, you know, Cheyenne, Laramie and, and Sheridan on, on kind of the East side. Well, Cheyenne and Laramie are close by. That's like a hundred thousand. So yeah, it's pretty spread out. Uh, I live in central Wyoming. So as Ryan, you said, it's not a lot of people come up here. Um, but if you are driving to like Yellowstone, like there's not a ton of towns and there's only a few roads. So you do naturally a lot of times drive through, but yeah, I sleep something I noticed. And even when I did track my biometrics via the O-ring, like my HRV, my resting heart rate, my sleep scores, whenever I came up here, um, or I was living up here compared to being in Salt Lake or traveling so much better, like way better. Yeah. Well, I was even going to add to that because like uh, one of the things I also really liked about, especially where you were living, was access to nature. Like in, in Salt Lake, you're pretty, you have a pretty good access to nature compared to maybe some other cities that are located near mountains or like LA has mountains, but it takes hours to get out there. Even in Denver, really, I, I was shocked going back to Denver this last year, how far away from the mountain you actually are when you're in Denver. It takes a hot minute to drive there. And I can get to the mountains here in like maybe 10, 15 minutes. But the difference is you're in nature five steps away. We went to a really cool, uh, I think it was a state park right by your house to see some bison and stuff. And uh, it was not only five seconds away, but it was like 
The difference between there and here is that when you go into nature, there's still tons and tons of people here. Like if you try to hike here, it's completely crowded. But there, yeah. it, it seems still pretty, um, pretty calm. So I really like the lack of of people, really. And we kind of mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few like I guess you call them hills here. Um, you know, like five to 700 foot elevation gain that yeah i literally drive to and like i, I trail run them I, I just run up them or hike up them and it, it's really nice because usually there's no one there or maybe like one or two people at any given point in the day and and yeah it's just it's really easy and yeah it's a, there's only like 2,000 people in this town so it, it's quite nice but even when i want to do like the bigger hikes like this weekend i'm going to go to the wind rivers and nice. uh i mean i'll probably see like less than 15 people in like three days i think that's the goal i hope so um hopefully i don't see any grizzly bears but um i don't want to see a ton of people and that was something i noticed in utah I was like i love the you know, I love the mountains. I love the access. I love the skiing, but you know, it's just kept getting more and more crowded and you know, the high density of, you know, city living and environmental toxins were not worth it to me like anymore. So if I want to go out in nature, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to like come across people who are, you know, just blaring stuff on speakers or, you know, doing, you know, stuff that's just really annoying. So yeah, I value it heavy. I value the decentralized living aspect of Wyoming because a lot of people are into that. You know, they're raising their own food or, or livestock. Like mm-hmm. they're they're about like kind of. Yeah, that's actually what I was gonna say. Was just like I was really I really like it. Kind of reminded me of where I grew up. So I grew up in small town Kansas, um, really tight knit, small, couple thousand people towns. Um, and we drove through like several towns where like maybe two hundred people like on the way to other places. And what I really liked was like everyone we spoke to, everyone we interviewed in person, and even the people that weren't in the interviews but were working associatively with with the people we talked to were were so nice and so welcoming and so uh, so willing to share their knowledge and and experiences. And so I was really thankful for that. It reminded me of of where I grew up because it was just so tight knit, and I felt like there was a sense of like we. Like I, I really like the the sense of like oh we are we are from Wyoming and we're proud of being from Wyoming sort of thing. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, one of the things I noticed was like of course non-native EMF, but also lack of uh, light pollution. And I noticed that over the last like weekend camping is that there was there was no light pollution out there. You could go outside and see the stars, which is something that you just don't get in the city and you don't get where you live where I am in Salt Lake City. There's so much light pollution even in a quote smaller city like where I am in where I'm in. So it was a really interesting experience. And uh, like I said, the conversations were so valuable. So I'm really excited to get some of those podcasts out, see if Tristan can, uh, can hear me again or not. I know he's kind of shifting positions. The one thing about being in Wyoming that was a negative for upload speed was uh, upload speed. So I will note that. We actually did our very first live stream at his place in Wyoming. And it was pretty fun. I learned a lot about audio, um, especially doing it outside. So that was a pretty interesting experience as well. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me about about doing uh, in-person interviews is that you just get this connectedness that you don't find when you're doing interviews over Skype. They're still great, and I I think the access is still uh, fantastic to talk to people like around the globe that you may not have access to, but there's sort of this intimacy with interviewing people in person that you get. You get that body language. You kind of get that dynamic. You get a conversation rolling that you just don't find 
in other other settings, which is totally fine. But I think there's something lost there. And, and for me, that was like honestly the most uh, opening experience. It's kind of sad that I don't, I'm not up in Wyoming to film all these things with Kristen because it would make it much more, I think, much more fluid. So we're going to try to do a lot more things in person as much as possible so that we can get that connectivity. And then Tristan actually broke off after the uh, the trip so that he could interview a couple of people in person to sort of get that dynamic. We have a lot of cool people in Colorado that we talking to. We're talking to uh, Ben Justman, who has a great winery uh, down in Colorado. And then hopefully we can get some other people on in the future, uh, such as Ryan Carter, and talk about regenerative agriculture. But we also spoke to um, AJ, who's up in Cody, Wyoming, about regenerative ag. And those were some pretty interesting conversations. Um, there's a lot that goes into it that I think people don't understand. And so that's going to be a very uh, pretty interesting episode. So stay tuned for that one. Are you back, my friend? You hear me all yeah, right? Yeah, my computer got too hot in the sun. So. It's okay. I feel like I was holding down the fort. I was holding down the fort for you. No, good job. Yeah, upload speed, sun, not not great in Wyoming. But what were we talking about? We're yeah, talking about just like EMF. that. Yeah, I mean, it's really nice. The light pollution, the noise pollution, that, mm-hmm. those are great points. I think, yeah, I mean, it's just more decentralized living, which is like kind of what we're all about. It's cool to hear that you're thinking, you know, more long-term vision. Definitely my goal out here is to get, you know, some land and, and you know, get a house built and have, you know, acreage to raise my own food. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of things going on in the health space where it's always like people – I feel like there's a gravitation towards homesteading and that's why we've had some good homesteading podcasts and or coming out soon with some more. Mm -hmm. And also there's this gravitation towards like this need that you have to like move to the tropics or move closer to the equator. And, you know, a place like Wyoming is, you know, there's tons of sun um, besides maybe like the dead of winter. Um, But, you know, it's way more sun than we get in like central Europe. So Mm -hmm. I think, it's uh, something that people need to think about. And obviously, like, you know, the Jack Cruises of the world are telling everyone to move to El Salvador. But, you know, I, I highly value, like, the the freedom, liberty of Wyoming as well as the climate and the nature. So, well, and I, just to add to that, too, it's like with the with the sort of, I mean, we did, I was talking, telling everybody we were doing, our, we did our first live stream ever uh, there in Wyoming. And um, it was cool to have the in-person dynamic. But we kind of talked about some of that sort of, uh, we talked about seasonal eating, seasonal living, and then also that idea of like, you need to move to Costa Rica or uh, like Central America to be optimally healthy. And I think the truth of the matter is that you can get a huge bang for your buck where you are at. And for people of European descent, especially, it makes even more sense to not be in the tropics long-term or year round. Um, But it's really, you get out what you put in if you take advantage of the summer months, get that UV, like you said, it's actually higher than Central Europe. If you get out and get it, then you'll be set for the winter. And that's naturally what would have occurred. But the problem is you have to get into that mindset and get into that new um, new lifestyle, which is the conversations that we had with people there. It just, you need to be more deliberate. Like it's easy to go live on a beach somewhere and eat seafood and get sun all year round. Like that's, it's actually pretty easy. But then even I would argue that, you know, if you want to talk about like mitochondria, like haplotypes, are we really adapted for that? Like I know I burn heat, like, and, and like Doug Wallace um, talks about this all the time is like, you know, people who are loosely coupled, like produce more heat, people are more tightly coupled mitochondria, which are, the ones closer to the equator are much more efficient. They don't have this heat, but that heat is helping me like in the winter. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's cold here, like pretty much like, 
you know, nine months of the year, even right now, like it gets down like below 60 at night. Like it's, it's pretty cool. Um, even though we're having a historically cool kind of start to the summer, but you just have to be really deliberate about where you are eating seasonally and embracing that, you know, in the winter here, like it makes sense to be low carb because nothing grows and you have to get cold adapted. And that'll also improve like your mitochondrial health. So you just, it's, it's more challenging, but I think, you know, we're fair skinned people. There's a reason why we are is because then we can really absorb all that, you know, vitamin D and, and the benefits of producing melanin quickly, uh, when the sun and the UV is present. But like I said, it's way sunnier here than, than central Europe and Northern Europe. Like it's not even close. And yeah, I think, uh, if you're really sick, maybe you consider moving South, but there's, you know, actually my area that I live in is, was known as like a healing place, like with Mm -hmm. the hot springs and everything for, for many, you know, millennia through the, the native, the native Indians, native Americans. So that's Wyoming. That was but my don't move part. here. Yeah, yeah. Don't move there. Yeah. yeah. Everybody go to Costa Rica. Um, it's actually full. So actually full. I'm sorry. The hot springs uh, were great though. I will say that. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. It's a good source of minerals, natural minerals, um, that you can absorb quite well. And the one in town that we went to is, uh, you know, they don't, it's not like chlorinated or anything, which is nice, but I kind of want to shift gears here. So we talked to a lot of Bitcoin folks. Um, I talked to one more at the end and we're kind of, I think maybe we'll do like a little Bitcoin series when we release all this. So we talked, you know, about mining, Bitcoin mining pretty much for like a whole episode, energy consumption, which is cool. Then we talked about like the banking side uh, with Caitlin Long, which was awesome. And then I went to Denver and talked to Matt Hill about Star9 Labs, uh, which is really awesome actually like decentralized solutions in terms of computing that's cool but i'm curious ryan what do you now you know what were your takeaways um because we don't want to spill too much of the conversation Mm -hmm. of course but you know you learned a lot um what were your takeaways you know what were you most blown away by in terms of what you learned from our brilliant guests talking about bitcoin and decentralized solutions well it was really interesting talking to caitlin long because i i didn't really know to, we, in that episode, just for a little bit of preface, we, we kind of talk about the history of the banking system in the U.S. And we kind of – she does a really good thorough overview of like the beginning through uh, the FDIC introduction in 1933 um, to now and sort of the, the pitfalls there and also some uh, of the reasons why Bitcoin uh, is, is beneficial in, in, in sort of like an accompaniment to – the current system. And I, I really like that she wasn't one of those people that was super anti, uh, anti fiat per se. Um, like it's not like Bitcoin one, one for all sort of thing. I kind of liked like that point of view. I'm trying to not also say everything that we talked about in the episode. I'm trying to like leave a little bit for mystery, but I think actually some of the most interesting stuff was when we talked to uh, Colin the day before about the practical applications for like the energy that Bitcoin produces, um, when mining and also, um, just the things that you can do with it. I, I really, I didn't, because you always hear about Bitcoin using up all this energy, but you don't really talk about the energy that you can, or the energy you can utilize from it and put back into things such as like heating water or um, or like we, we've had people on the podcast talking about greenhousing, uh, horticultural stuff. And um, it, I think that was the most interesting part to me is about the what we can use Bitcoin energy for, because I, I had never known any about that, anything about that before. 
Yeah, the the mining stuff for me is like always the most interesting because just like from an engineering background, it's it's so fascinating. Um, to me, it encapsulates like the lack of knowledge that the average person has about our power grid and how you know it's really a sensitive network. And the Bitcoin miners are actually providing a lot of flexibility in that regard. And you know, I I wrote a bit about that in my book and there's been more and more coming out like a lot of these guys at, at riot uh mm-hmm. down in texas working with ERCOT, um energy reliability council of texas it, it's just cool stuff right like the grid is dynamic you add more dynamic intermittent loads to it like renewables you know it's going to be a bit chaotic and you know we have just an ever-increasing demand for like energy on demand electricity on demand like you don't realize like whenever I talk about this stuff, how grateful you are to you just go switch a, you know, a light switch in your house, flick oh, yeah. a switch and it's there. Boom. Electricity. Yay. I have light, which is funny because I actually never turned the lights on here in the <laughs> summer, really. Um, circadian hacks. But like, do you know what goes into that? like moment and just having that all the time, like on a moment's notice, it's, it's a lot goes into it and it's a very, you know, sensitive system. And, you know, it's cool that Bitcoin miners add kind of some versatility, some dynamic load response to that. And uh, yeah, I think people need to get more educated on that. Um, And I, hopefully they will because, you know, the likes of, you know, always talk about Elizabeth Warren, but you know, a lot of politicians just really, trash bitcoin for its energy consumption you know mm-hmm. and it's it's actually providing a solution um it has benefits that that can be used in terms of you know the heat produced and it's uh you know it's not just like mining for nothing you're like you're mining for bitcoin you know sound you know soundest form money ever created and, well yeah and, yeah and i'll just add to that and you can probably correct me if i'm wrong but in, in one of those discussions we had we were talking about the uh, eia projections for how much energy in the grid will be needed by in 2050 versus say now. And I just Googled the number and it's like 45 trillion kilowatts of energy, which is about 20 trillion more than now in usage. And um, we discussed sort of how the whole green energy movement in its current form will not get us there effectively because the current backups for all of the green energy, solar, wind, is gasoline. And so in one of the discussions, we sort of talk about how Bitcoin can be part of a buffer for some of these things in between, um, which I found like super fascinating. Like I had no idea that that was even a practical application. Um, but I, it was also really interesting to hear Colin's story about how he used it for heating, but I'm not going to give it all away because I think I think that's a really fun discussion that people will take a lot away from. Yeah, it's like, well, it's just the whole nuance of like renewables, right? And and we talked about it too. And it's like renewables to me, it's like they're actually a very good source of, uh, you know, energy production from a decentralized standpoint. Like if you are off the grid, like you probably put solar panels on your house and, you know, you're not taking up any, you know, area that would otherwise be utilized for, for things that are, you know, not destroying or, or ruining the environment. So like from a land utilization perspective, and a material utilization perspective, like renewables are, are, are pretty terrible because their energy and power density are, are, are very poor. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like this whole ESG narrative. I think people, anyone with like a, a engineering background, like you can just look at these numbers and, and you realize it's it's not all it's cracked up to be. There's still a use 
of course, but it's always going to be a mix of energy. So anyone who tells you it's like, you know, there, there's coal maxis, there's oil maxis, there's nuclear maxis, there's mm. renewable maxis, mm. like, no, it, it needs to be a mix, but you have to understand the pros and cons like of each. And, and yeah, like the problem with, you know, some of the, you know, inherently fossil fuel based uh, energy production is, yeah, there, there are a lot of byproducts, but a lot of that has been improved over the past, like, you know, decade, but here in, in Wyoming, for sure, you like, you hear a lot about like some like, just nasty shit that was done like mm-hmm. 10, 30, 40 years ago, because like, there was no regulation really on, on that by, for big petrochemical companies. So I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to stay, I stay objective in this and yeah, yeah it's always going to be a mix. There is no perfect answer. They're actually building a nuclear power plant in Wyoming, I think as one oh, wow. of like a Bill Gates test venture oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's uh that's something that's really interesting because I don't know. Maybe that's the only thing I agree on with Bill that's Gates. I, I don't say. know. It still that's makes me skeptical. It still makes me skeptical. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, that was something that I mean we talked about sort of in the podcast that uh, there's an Oliver Stone uh, Oliver Stone documentary out called Nuclear Now that uh, I just started watching. But they talk about a lot of the nuclear power stuff, some of the misconceptions, and how it actually can be like a really good thing uh, when done in a practical way. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But the other thing too on that is you mentioned like solar and things like all these green energy things being good in like small settings. I think one of the biggest problems that is that that kind of traverses all these different discussions around health, like medical system, food system. And we had these discussions in Wyoming is that on a large scale, it's hard to create something that is truly um, beneficial all around and doesn't have some huge pitfalls. Like we spoke with um, AJ up in Cody, Wyoming, a lot about regenerative agriculture um, and and sort of the food system and the big four meat packing facilities uh, in the country and how, because on a mass scale, we have these four companies that control this stuff. We have all these problems subsequently down the chain. Same goes with energy. I think the more that this is really what I took away from our trip on a, on a 30,000 foot view is that the more you think on a hyper localized level, I feel like the better off you will be Um, because it's hard to create something that sustains the masses in the way that benefits everybody. um, Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. And so that's why I think we're going to see these shifts over the next several years uh, as it seems from our conversations of, of people sort of, like you said, people getting into homesteading or, or all this other sort of decentralized stuff because we've so I feel like we've propped up our system on stilts that are fragile. And I don't think they'll hold in a lot of ways in the next several years. Yeah. And with that, you know, talking to AJ, talking about, you know, sourcing beef, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so Wyoming has like two and a half times more cattle than, than people, right? So it's like, there's more than enough you know, food in terms of meat in Wyoming. So, you know, that needs to go to a population center, you know, Utah, Denver, Colorado's probably got enough beef too. So it's like, all right, where's the next one? And, and AJ was talking about like Phoenix and, and mm-hmm. Vegas. And yeah, so it's like thinking logistically about that. It's like, okay, well, like if there was a coalition or a partnership between like, you know, the state of Wyoming and the state of Arizona or the state of Nevada to, you know, get Wyoming beef down to these population centers, like that would make sense. But, you know, the USDA is just so complex with all these things. But then you think about it as well. It's like, damn, like Phoenix and Las Vegas, like those cities don't even make sense. No, like, I, I think mean, about that from all a the time. sustainability perspective, especially yeah. water. 
And the fastest growing cities seem to be like those cities. It's like, there's like, um, I mean, there's also like Austin and other cities down in Texas and stuff, but like during COVID times, like, um, like Las, Las Vegas is one of the fastest growing cities in the U S has been for a while. Uh, Phoenix is down there. Um, and the, they're really in these food deserts and it's, it, it's, it's not productive at all. And so I don't know, human, uh, <laughs> human ingenuity. Yes. Uh, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> I think it's just like, it needs to be thought through like a little bit more. And it's like, we have this high quality, you know, food producing system in some areas mm-hmm. that just need to be exploited and, you know, connected with, but it's, it's hard because the people who are running the show are, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, food conglomerates. So, um, it's, it's refreshing that, you know, people like AJ are working on, um, solutions for this but yeah it is really a hyper local approach i think that's for sure something you see kind of going on and but even here in wyoming like could be a lot better um just being at the farmer's market i mean it's cool uh selling bison at the farmer's market and people are like really excited about this stuff and there's a lot of people who are gung-ho on, on local and they just opened you know in the other town like a, a farmer's co-op store kind of and you know i got got our bison in there and nice. There, there is a movement like even here it's not like something that's just like ubiquitous like everyone's buying everything local like no i go to this grocery store i mean you were there mm-hmm. in my town and it's like there's nothing there's literally nothing local there um that's and that's a problem and that might just be that grocery store uh specifically there's other ones that are better but then if you just go to the farmer's market or connect in the community around you you have access to all these local, you know, food items, which in Wyoming are mostly animal based stuff. Maybe here we're getting some produce increasingly for the next three to five, three to four months. But yeah. How was the, how was the farmer's market? Cause you were just there the other day. How were people receptive to your Bitcoin sign? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, well, if, and if you're not aware, I was selling bison, uh, I work for, you know, with a bison ranch in Lander, Wyoming. If you, uh, want some bison, check it out. We, I started selling at the farmer's market because I was like, this needs to happen like in the town that we're in. And it's, uh, we had a Bitcoin sign, you know, Bitcoin preferred. I put my books out on the table. Um, you know, my buddy Cody did pay me in Bitcoin, but he also got me the sign. So I wanted, I don't know if that's an official transaction. It is, but um, I had some people tweet at me. They're like, I might just drive up to Wyoming just to pay you in Bitcoin. I was like, please do. Uh, but but overall, it's, uh, you know, it's getting the word out there. And I think we talked about this before. It's like, if you just start asking people or showing people, oh, Bitcoin thing, you know, that's going on. What's that? So a lot of people just like, oh, Bitcoin prefer. That's that's interesting. You know, a couple guys, they're like, yeah, I've, I got some Bitcoin. I got a Bitcoin, like singular, like not like it's divisible at, in, in any ways. But and then they stand there and talk to me about like, you know, the very decentralized individuals. And I'm mm-hmm. like, how can I like, you know, how can we connect and get you more involved? We have Bitcoin meetups. and stuff. They're not on social media. They're not, yeah. you know, in anything. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm just, just living the life, but power to you. So I think it was good. You know, again, it's just spreading that message and in any way, any form possible, the the more people that see and are like, Oh, Bitcoin. And, and I gave my book to a couple other producers awesome. as well. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we were at the farmer's market in Lander, we went to, I think it was at the same farmer's market as the one you sold at. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was really cool. It was just like a street had a bunch of like people's tents and I, there was a goat, uh, a goat milk 
uh, sale. He was selling goat milk, this, this farmer guy. And I was talking to him about, I think I was telling him what we were doing, like while we were in town. Cause I was telling him we were out of state. Cause you can refill your, 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 uh, your, uh, jugs he gives you if you're, if you're there the next week. And I was like, oh man, I can't, but I'll keep this for broth. Um, but he, we were talking about how we're doing social media stuff. And he was like, oh yeah, don't even get me started on that. Like, I don't know how to use my phone. I mean, I'll break yours if I touch it. And I was like, I, I think most of these, these farmers just don't, it's just not part of their lives. I mean, they're, they're, they're so ingrained in like what they do. And that's sort of it. You know what I mean? They show up locally, they sell their stuff. Um, and maybe they have like a processing facility. They send their other stuff to. And this was a conversation that we had with, with Cody about, or not, no, in Cody with AJ about, um, about farmers sort of not knowing how to get into this regenerative stuff that he's trying to do because they're so focused on just their job of raising the cattle, getting it off to the processor, and then that's it. And so yeah. it was a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, these people are just trying to make a living, right? Yeah. So you have to respect that. First off, you have to respect that they're food producers because mm-hmm. they're the reason why, you know, a lot of you like have food to eat, but then you have to respect how hard they work. Yeah, they don't have time to really even get up to speed with, with a lot of technology. And obviously some are, are better than others, but that's a big hurdle, you know, of course, with Bitcoin adoption. But at the end of the day, you know, they're just trying to do what they think's best. So like the worst thing you t- can do is be arrogant and you know, act like you know everything. Oh, you need to do like rotational grazing and do this and get the soil balance right. It's like, and they look at you and like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, you know, have you ranched a day in your life? Or like, no, but I read like five books on it. It's like, okay, do you know how hard it is? Do you know, I mean, even you want to do a rotational grazing, all right, you need to move your animals more. You need the infrastructure, you need the fencing to do that. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's more effort, it's more involved. And, you know, it's a delicate balance of, of emulating nature. So yeah, being respectful and grateful of, of local food producers is extremely important, but you do want to, of course, you know, ask them questions and ask them if they thought about things like that or, you know, how they raise their animals and, you know, show interest and, and then they'll, they'll respect you. So I would say that's probably a recommendation. If, if you're going to a farmer's market, the worst thing you can do is act like you should give them recommendations on, on how they, how they raise their food. Oh no. If, if anything, you should be asking them questions. I mean, that, that was like yeah, my yeah. thing. This trip was like just asking questions about things I don't know. I mean, that was like part of the discussion we had with pretty much everybody on the roster that we talked to was like just the having more knowledge in general helps you make better decisions. Um, and I think that was like a huge overview takeaway. So just the more you know, the better you do. Yeah. And I think for going back to Bitcoin, like talking about the mining side of things, talking mm-hmm. about the banking you know, system, the issues with that, like it gives you a clearer picture of like the whole view of, of Bitcoin. And, and that's why I'm excited to release these podcasts because then you can learn about the whole thing. Like not just, oh, it's going to make me rich or, oh, it's like a great store value. Like it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that have boots on the ground that are propelling this adoption and this, you know, technology forward. And without them, it wouldn't happen. So you really have to respect that hustle because it is, you know, technically a very high risk decision to, mm-hmm. to do these things. Um, but yeah, it gives you an appreciation of, of, you know, the things that it takes and how long it takes for these things to play out. And that's why, you know, especially talking to Matt Hill, talk 
about like Bitcoin adoption and all that. And it's going to take time. Like it's not going to go to, and it shouldn't go to a million, like by the end of the year, we don't want that. The chaos that would ensue if that's the case would not be something you would want to experience. I know personally, I would rather it stay lower prices um, so I can accumulate more. I understand the value, but when you see like the legislation, the, you know, shackling that that Caitlin Long's bank yeah. has gotten from from you know the feds and and just like the the reputation and and f- things that people say about like the mining industry when in reality you know it's a lot a lot less uh gray and cloudy and and than than people think and New York Times is writing smear articles mm-hmm. editing pictures so it's 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 crazy but it's cool to be in this like disruptive world where it's like wow we act like if you just go and talk to the people who are, are actually running these companies, mm-hmm. you get it straight from the source. Like don't trust verify and, yep. and you learn a lot. Yeah. And actually I was just going to say for anybody that has any, like, I mean, I know I had, I had a lot of questions and confusion around, around Bitcoin and especially mining and sort of like some of those applications. Like I think these two episodes or three episodes that, that we've done, like with Colin, Caitlin and you talking to Matt are going to be really good to sort of, dispel some of like the common common myths out there, common criticisms. Um, we cover all those things and I think they're really good. But we also had a really interesting conversation we didn't expect to have with Caitlin about hunting. And I know when I was there with you, you were super stoked about, I think it was like the <laughs> second day in because you got your elk tag. So maybe we could kind of jump into some of that. I know you're, I, I feel like the testosterone is rising in the room the minute you got that, you got the tag confirmation. Yeah, so that was that was great, and I mean, I don't know how much I talked about hunting on the episode that I did, like for this show, kind of starting out. But man, last year was was what an experience, like getting into hunting, very intimidating if you've never done it before, especially um, you know, big game hunting in the Rocky Mountains because it's totally different than like East Coast, Midwest, like stand hunting. And uh, yeah, uh, on the first ever hunting trip last year of my entire life. I got a, a bull elk and it was incredible. It was the most strenuous, like challenging thing I've probably ever done. Uh, hiking, you know, 40 plus miles at above 8,000 feet and in the wilderness of Wyoming with only my one buddy who, you know, is from the East coast and had stand hunted, you know, whitetail. So he was helpful from, for a lot of reasons. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, we, we had no idea what we were doing quote unquote, and, you know, intuitively figured it out and, and we're successful, but, you know, the connectiveness, the gratefulness of harvesting an animal and then having that fuel your, you know, your life for the next year is, wow, like I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. And that's all I want to do now. So I still have a good amount of this elk left. It's, it is the purest protein you can get. And we had Stefan Van Fleet on Mm -hmm. talking about this. We posted that reel today, you know, the nutrient density of a wild game is higher if they are eating like diverse, you know, native grasses and, 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 and things like that. And uh, undebatable. I mean, you can, you can feel it, you can mm-hmm. taste it, you can I'll, see it. I'll say this. Cause you let me try some of your elk when we were in Cheyenne. Cause you brought some with you. That thing was dense. Like, yeah. and, and I always talk about this with people when I say, uh, when I eat, when I eat liver, because I, I'll cook like a couple and I don't eat liver every day, but I'll cook like a couple low, like maybe three or four ounces of liver and I'll be full. Like that will fill you up. And it was really interesting because that's the exact same way I felt eating that elk was like, I could just feel 
the nutrient density in that thing. I was I was like full after eating just a little bit of it that he gave me. Um, maybe four it's, or five It's ounces. definitely way higher in protein because mm-hmm. there's like no fat. I mean, these things are just Super like lean. lean, mean. They're not that – I don't know. They can be mean, but they're just <laughs> lean units. Like they're athletes, right? What was the other thing that, you know, Stefan talked about? He's like the phenotypes of oh, yeah. cattle that were like pasture raised are like athletes. Yep. And then yep. you want to think about like deer, antelope, and elk. That's – LeBron James of the the meat world. Yeah, and actually, we had a part of the interesting conversation that we had with Kaylin about it was the 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 taste difference depending on the animals, uh, and we talked about this with Stefan too about basically the pasture the animal ate can change not only the 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 phytochemical and the nutrients that are within the meat, but also like the taste. So she was talking about antelope and how they could taste the difference between sagebrush predominantly feeding antelope versus like grass or alfalfa. And there's like a, there's like a gamierness, a gaminess difference. And so I, f- I find that fascinating. I, they're, they're, they're just these nuances that I don't think people think about at all. And I remember I, I told this story on the podcast about how I brought grass fed ground beef just from the store. So like, this is just probably from some farm, maybe not even local, but grass fed, grass finished ground beef home. Uh, and I gave it to my girlfriend's mom to cook for dinner and she tasted it like while cooking it to just check on it. And she thought it was gr- like rotten because it tasted completely different than grain fed beef. And I was like, no, that's just, that's just what grass fed tastes like. It has a different taste. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that's a common criticism. I've had people tweet at me like hundred percent grass fed beef tastes like shit. Like mm-hmm. you're crazy. And it's like, we're so indoctrinated with the flavors of, of food and we love bland chicken, grain fed beef, flavorless pork. And that's what people are used to. And that's why you have to season the shit out of like chicken. If you're like a bodybuilder, bro. Oh, but yeah. if you had like a real pasture raised chicken, it would be a lot more flavorful. And yeah, inherently grass, like grass-fed beef is quote unquote like more gamey, and a lot of people at the farmers market are like, "How gamey is your bison?" I'm like, "Yeah, you know, what's your what's <laughs> what's your background? Are you eating? Like, it's not like an antelope. Like yeah. they're not eating sage, but it, it's it has flavor from the grasses and pasture that it's it's eating on." I still think wild boar is probably the gamiest thing I've ever eaten. Um, yeah, and I liked it, but I like kind of that gamey. And goat can be kind of gamey depending on, uh, I guess, where it was raised. But, but I love it. I yeah, goat. Great. Yeah, goat can be gamey. But the the way I see it, I love this cool con- concept that it's like you can get phytochemicals from meat, and mm-hmm. the higher quality meat that you have, the more phytochemicals. So it's like you know, you don't need to eat as many vegetables per se as as you think, especially if they don't grow locally. Um, and you can get some of that from your meat, which is. I mean, well, and actually, there was a there was an interesting study I read recently, um, and don't quote me on it 100% because I'm kind of paraphrasing from memory, but they were saying like the antioxidants you get from fruits, vegetables, um, don't do as much as the things you make in like endogenously, like inside your body. Oh, for sure. And I actually just talked about this um, at length right before this. It's like, yeah, and for antioxidant wise, like... It's great to get these things, these polyphenols, these terpenoid compounds from food. Mm-hmm. But like when you start supplementing with like really high doses of, of these compounds, like it's it's unnatural and it's like 
we have natural antioxidants like in our body, like melatonin mm-hmm. is, is one of them. I mean, you can get, you know, antioxidants is, is just combating oxidative stress, which yeah. is, you know, the process, you know, losing redox homeostasis. You can get, you know, free electron, electron donors from grounding, like, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and we have, you know, ways to combat these things. It's just like a, a homeostatic thing that we want to have. Um, so if you have too much, uh, f- too many free radicals being produced, um, from whatever external stressor that's bad, but like, it doesn't always work. And they've found, you know, there are studies as well that show that, you know, taking these like exogenous plant antioxidants in extreme high doses can actually sometimes make things worse. So, well, and we talked about too, like in the last live, I just did a clip from it today, just cause I thought it was interesting was the, the, how profoundly if like strong melatonin is like natural melatonin yeah. that you make inside your mitochondria is like the most powerful antioxidant in your body. It's, it's incredible. And you make that like you make it. So, yeah. so what I've learned over the last like year or so, and it just, it's just been really banged into my head with the discussions we've had with like Stefan and some other people is that how can you prep your body to make the best material? whether that's collagen or antioxidants or um, things that fight oxidative stress, it's really like, how can you put your body in the best position to do what it's supposed to do? Um, and I think there's so much emphasis in the health community. It's sort of a tangent on taking things that do- exogenously because it sells and makes money and it sounds sexy. That doesn't, I don't think it really moves the needle like the simple things like getting sunlight or eating well-raised meat and, and all these, all these things. It's very basic. hundred percent. I mean, just live a more ancestrally consistent life. And then, yeah, you might need to supplement for things like mm-hmm. traveling or, you know, high, you know, EMF exposure areas or, or just, you know, stressors that we wouldn't have been exposed to ancestrally or if you're sick, yeah. but foundationally the lifestyle habits you go through on a daily basis, sleep, food, quality, you know, light exposure, time spent in nature, grounding, like those, yeah, move yeah. the needle and, so much more. And what I learned being out there in Wyoming and over my last couple of days, just out in the desert, just sleeping on dirt, basically, um, was that you, if you live in a city, you're kind of screwed um, on a lot of angles. Um, so either you move, uh, not to Wyoming because it's full, uh, maybe Montana, uh, that's right. But um, you either do that or the second best thing you'd probably do is one mitigation where you live, all this stuff. And we'll probably do podcasts on that. We have, but it's like, take advantage of your weekends. Like I'm going fishing this weekend in the middle of nowhere <laughs> to like get away. So it's like, it's like get outside as much as you can away from everything that causes all these things to occur. And because I, I just truly don't believe that you can out supplement your way. Like you can't, I can't out wear lamb's clothing to the EMF in, in, in the city. Like it's just, it's so much, you can only buffer so much. So it's really about all this other stuff. And that's why decentralization is super important. I think now more than ever for people's health and well-being is to like, think about these ideas that we're talking about in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's like a battle every mm-hmm. day going on for like cellular damage, like, and oxidative stress. And, you know, you want to equip your body 
to be able to fight that better. So like really what you're doing when you're getting outside, you know, you're getting the proper lifestyle habits, like you're training your soldiers, your defense systems, you're training them. They're becoming like elite defense combat warriors. Whereas if you just supplement whatever, you might just be giving them like, you know, an RPG, like that's the tool. Here you go. And then what happens when that RPG is gone? They're not strong fighters so they're gonna lose more often than they're gonna win and that causes you know aging and and cellular damage and chronic disease down the road so it's and if you're in this perpetual like you know losing battle that's when you get in the negative feedback loops of you know like cell danger response and that switch of just sympathetic you know response of fight or flight is is always on Mm -hmm. you're never actually going to heal so yeah that's how i think about it like yeah I, I mean, you. So you also spoke to uh, Michael Amons, uh, I believe, in Colorado, and I actually talked yeah, to him. I yeah. talked to him on the phone today, just because I wanted to get connected. And we talked a lot about parasympathetic state, sympathetic state, and how like so many people um, who are in pain are just not only like they may have a physical issue, but like there are people that don't have physical issues that are in pain, and it's it's from being in a sympathetic state, whether that's from you know, traumas or all this crazy EMF or it's like multiple things. It's never just one thing. So I actually wanted to ask you, what were some, like, what were some unexpected takeaways you had on this trip? Because we were sort of in your neighborhood, but uh, I, I bet you, sh- I'm sure you had some unexpected, unexpected things. We did go, uh, well, one of us went climbing <laughs> and that, that was pretty cool to be out in the hills. But uh, no, yeah, with, with Michael, it was, ex- it was exactly that. It was like chronic pain can, stem from just being in this negative feedback loop like it's a cell signaling issue it's all like a signaling issue and you know when i was concussed uh, i had that 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 issue completely and and i had to figure out how to get out of that you know from you know there are biochemical changes and maybe you had cell damage but eventually it's you know this negative feedback loop you're stuck in it and you have to get out of that or you're never going to like fully heal. And, you know, his story was powerful. It's, you know, like 10 years, the same issue and you're thinking it's better and it's actually related to some like past trauma, Mm -hmm. accepting that, working on that. And then it's like, now you can actually heal um, from a physical standpoint because yeah, at the end of the day, it is all in your head, but like how you treat that, how you attack that, you like, you need to think about it. And if you're just, stuck in this hyper sympathetic response of fight or flight like you're just gonna be you know there forever if you don't do something about it but that's probably the hardest part for people to conceptualize and uh yeah uh, i think you know talking about like with erwin lacour as well before mm -hmm. or we did a podcast with him and is all about that and and that's why like we need to be very cognizant of the states we're in, what sets off these triggers and how you can kind of reel back in that body's sympathetic state to being more parasympathetic and getting back into a healing state. Yep. Yep. That and just take methylene blue. It's a, it's freaking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there are some things that maybe could help you like ease back into it, but it's, it's going to take a lot more than, than just that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, the whole like, you know, pain connection to you just, well, think about it. Think about it this neurology. way. If you talk, and this has been my experience in the quote chronic illness community or whatever you want to call it. Um, talking to anybody that seems to have like some really gnarly, like 
tons of autoimmune issues or really bad mental health issues. Like we have that mental health crisis, like worse than ever. My mom's a school teacher. She always tells me about how she's never taught so many kids with crippling anxiety before in her entire life, six-year-olds with just crippling, crippling anxiety in class. It's just like, it wasn't a thing really. Even when I was going to school, it wasn't like that insane. I didn't no. really diagnose anxiety and stuff like that, but it's just like, talk about all these uh, things in our lifestyles now. They're completely different than even 15, 20 years ago, but it's, it's this negative feedback loop that you get stuck in and you can't get out. And that's why I'm a huge believer and you can't heal in the same environment. You got sick. Even if you're in the same like physical, but that place, that applies that applies to your mental state as no, well, no, like exactly. your that's mind what, state, right? Your yeah, that's mindset. What, yep. That's what I was getting to, and it, I think it actually starts. And I was having a conversation with my physical therapist about this today, about uh, about my anorexia recovery, and it was basically like, listen, you can be told all the every. I mean, this is the problem with any any community you're in is like people want answers to a problem they have, but most people aren't even in the right mindset yet to take action on those mm -hmm. on those tips or tricks or any of that stuff. And until you have that mindset to be consistent or implement change, it really doesn't matter what somebody tells you. And I'm guilty of that, you know, next to anybody. But um, it's 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 a it's a dramatic it's a dramatic mind shift that needs to take place first before anything else, in my opinion. And that's the hardest, it's the hardest thing to do yep. in life, right? Like take a good long look in the mirror. Who are you right now? And who do you want to be? Mm -hmm. Where do you want to get to? You know, what are the things you need to work on? And then reinforcing that, like really, really reinforcing it. It might be fucking insane for you to think that like, you need to just like, like whisper words to yourself while yeah. you're doing something yep. but that it actually works like you need to train your subconscious that you are powerful you are capable of healing you can overcome anything and what, whatever that way is like it might be through meditation it might be just through progressively doing hard things it might be literally just telling yourself that 1000 times a day mm -hmm. until you actually believe it and guess what? Your brain, you can't trick your brain. Like you have to actually believe it or you're never going to get out of this negative rabbit hole that you're in. So true. I was talking, I mean, like I said, I talked to Michael today for just a little bit, just kind of shooting the shit. And I was telling him like, man, it's like even on bad days where I have some sort of flare up or something, like I've never been more positive about like getting back on track. Like this is like, and that's, and that's what you got to keep in your mind is like, it's just like, is, is that mindset part? It's just like, it's the hardest thing. Well, the to do momentum, the momentum works in both directions, right? Mm -hmm. Like once you make some progress, like for me, when I was concussed, I was like, if I could just get 20% better, like I'm going to feel great compared mm -hmm. to what I do now. And then you get there and you're like, whoa, whoa, yeah. I can do anything. I'm going to be like doing X, Y, and Z in three months. Like you can't stop, try and stop me. That's mm -hmm. why I live the way I do because I was there. I was in a dark place. So were you. Mm -hmm. That's why we have non-negotiables, right? Like yeah. we're not crazy. We're not weird. Like, I mean, we are, but it's <laughs> like for good reason. And I don't care what you do with your life. This yeah. is my life. This is how I feel fantastic every day. Yeah. I wouldn't trade this for anything. And that's why like I'm very regimented in terms of like things that are non-negotiable. What was your uh, what, what were some of your takeaways from from our trip? How, how yeah, was I, mean, I on the road? How was I on the road? How was I as a traveling companion? 
No, it was good. I think it was it was great to get this experience. I mean, you know, talking to AJ and Cody, that was like amazing. Like, I just love meeting people in Wyoming that are actually like impacting change because a lot of people are like, you know, Wyoming's like 20 years behind every other state. Someone said that to me in the hot springs yesterday, which it's true in some regards, but it's like, you can't get some of the benefits of like freedom and like decentralization without some of that. It's like, okay, I'm might be okay to be 20 years behind in tech. Like don't build 5g towers everywhere. I'll I'll be okay with some shitty service. Like, you know, I was on the phone with a processor the other day and we, we were playing phone tag. We couldn't contact each other. Um, and it was like, he's like, you know what, Tristan, I like that we don't have service because that's the only time I can actually take a break for a second. I'm like, damn straight, brother. And uh, yeah, so meeting people like, again, building that network locally for me is like very powerful, very impactful. And uh, yeah, I was blown away by what they're actually accomplishing. Um, and yeah, I think... They were just great conversation. I think the in-person for sure is huge. Like all the conversations we had because they're in-person, better dynamic, you know, you actually get to meet and talk to the people, you know, in-person before you do a podcast. So you just have that connection already. Like it's, it's powerful. Like I, I, I really believe um, that that's the way to do it. And I'm very bullish on, on in-person podcasts as, as much as we can. So obviously it'll be like a regional focus here, but yeah, I think. And it was awesome to see that you kind of uh, valued a lot of the stuff we did and appreciated it. And um, yeah, maybe you'll want to leave the, the city soon. Who knows? <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's getting closer every the day. The day that it comes is getting closer every day. Like I can I can feel it. And I, I felt it even more over the last couple of days where I literally was. Um, we were at Starvation Reservoir and there where we were camping, at least there was like no service. It was I, so I basically mm-hmm. turned off my phone for like three days, except for when I had to go in town one time to get gas. And, and that was like the one time I sent messages out basically. Um, so it was like, it was super nice. I've never, I don't think I've ever not had to charge my phone for multiple days because it was just off the whole time. And, and what was really cool, and I, I mentioned the light pollution aspect earlier while you were having some tech issues, but being able to see the stars was insane. Like, and I noticed that in Wyoming too. Um, but like you could like find the constellations and you could even see like some of the Milky Way, like some of the haze. And it was like, it's crazy. You don't get that in any city. Um, so it's, it's just, it's just a I reminder mean, that if you can't leave the city, like at least visit places that are not in the city as frequently as possible. <laughs> like, this is just like the real world. Like nature yep. is the real world. Like we just have built all over it. And, you know, it's progressed society and it is what it is, obviously, like we wouldn't be here. But like when you get in contact and connect with the real world, it's just like a whole another experience. And then all you want to do is be in nature and be outside like the the night sky hunting, because obviously, you know, it gets I go to bed when like the sun sets here Mm -hmm. at like 930. Mm -hmm. It's I'm not watching it. I'm not stargazing in Wyoming in the summer, really. But like come October um, late September when I'm hunting again, man, you, I, you wake up like four thirty five a.m. Um, or even earlier, and th- that night sky is it's next level, and and you just want to stand out there and oh, yeah. and just take it all in. But yeah, I, I think 
hunting. That's something I want to get more folks on the podcast on mm-hmm. talking about. I think that's really empowering, you know, again, that connection. Um, it, it can be very intimidating. So I would love to talk more about that. I have a few guests in mind that I'm yeah. trying to set up. So stay tuned uh, for that, folks. And yeah, I can't wait to not be online for like three days this this long weekend. There's a long weekend coming up. You don't have, like take off Monday, set you got a four day weekend, July fourth, instead of just getting shit faced at the bar, wherever the hell you are, like at, at least if you're gonna do that, go outside. Yeah. Like which a lot of people do, but but just value that time. Like it, it really is special. And, uh, you know, there's only so many, you know, moments like that, that you'll have left if you don't prioritize it. But that for me slows down time, like no other, like when you're not on your phone, when you're just kind of like out there, time just goes by so slow and you can't get back time. That's the only thing that doesn't matter how much money you have. And time will be at one point or another in your life for everybody. I think it's universal. I think time will be at some point in your life the most important factor. And so I think the sooner you realize that, the better. <laughs> so I am fortunate of that. And that comes back to decentralized living. Like inherently, like you like live a slower kind of life, like mm-hmm. in the moment and time will go by slower. Like you'll, you'll value these little connections you have more. You'll, you'll cook things slower. Like it doesn't all have to be this hyper productive, like hustle culture. Like you can be productive, like, but that's the benefit of being healthy too, is like you have this energy to be productive, but like, you know, take time to appreciate things as, as well. And mm-hmm. that's what I think decentralization encompasses the fact that you're not just like, like you're, you're there in the moment because it's you, it's all you, like you're accountable, you're responsible for a lot of everything in your life. So you can't just outsource that and, yeah. you know, get back, you know, this time and, and then, try and start five businesses or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree. But sweet. I think, uh, I'm really excited to launch those podcasts. They'll be out in a few weeks. I think we'll have a little Bitcoin themed, mm-hmm. maybe like week and a half, two weeks where we get, you know, a few of these Bitcoin centric, uh, podcasts out there. I'm excited for that. We'll try and line up some, some more hunting podcasts um, with some friends in, in Wyoming here, as well as maybe Idaho. I've been chatting to some elk hunters in Idaho and uh, Brian, are you going to start hunting or what? Like what's going on there? Dude, I, I want to, <laughs> I actually want to, I should take, I don't know if I'll Last be able to question. make it this season or not because it's probably too no. late, but I can definitely get hunter safety done this year. Um, so if, if anyone has never hunted before, it's different in every state. First thing you need to do, Ryan just said it, hunter safety. Sometimes it's only online. Sometimes it's online and in person. Sometimes it's all in person. Um, you need to do it. Just do it because there's no, you know, you have that. It's good for your life. Um, yep. And then you just need to research. Every state is like a fishing game website. Like mm-hmm. go on there and, and see what the process is. And usually you have to put in for tags like, you know, spring, early summer, and then you find out right about now. But if you're a resident, here's the thing with hunting. If you're a resident in the state, like you can get over the counter tags as well, which, you know, you don't have to put That's in awesome. for early. So nice. And you obviously it costs a lot less. Like 
like Ryan, you're in Utah. Utah is, you know, elk, deer, um, mm-hmm. I think some antelope maybe. But like, you know, people out east don't have access to like elk or things like that. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty elk. great, great state to hunt in. Um, and, and guess what? You know, just find someone maybe who hunts and just be like, hey, can I come with you? Guess what? They'll say yes, because if when they do get an animal, they'll want as many people there to help carry it out. And, you know, you'll get you'll get firsthand experience. You'll understand exactly what what it all takes. And then you probably get some meat as a reward. Yeah, that's I mean, that's the plan. I have a friend that um, my one of my, I guess, sort of childhood friends, I guess, um, from here. Anyways, him and his dad go elk hunting every year and they got tags for this next year. And so I'm just going to tag along with them. Um, just for the experience no of going, yeah. But uh, but uh, I'm I'm excited for that. I think that'll be fun. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I want it to be as gnarly an experience as you had. It sounded kind of <laughs> sounded kind of crazy. I doubt it will be pulling out this huge elk in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but uh, but it'll be fun. I look forward to it. But I definitely want to do it. I talk about it with uh, my girlfriend's dad like all the time. Like, oh yeah, we need to go like next year. <laughs> I will warn you though it will if you get hooked which is a high chance if Mm -hmm. you appreciate you know high quality food hiking the outdoors things like that you will get hooked and it will definitely be a big part of your life but I mean that's a hobby for me it's like the highest reward because Mm -hmm. you get out in nature plus you high chance or if you're successful obviously you get rewarded Mm -hmm. with you know high quality the highest quality protein for for a long time so give it a shot people like if you're into it like test it out but just know that you know there's no like once you buy a rifle or like a bow or something like you're committing hard like you don't have to do that like you can go with a friend first like ryan's saying to kind Mm -hmm. of get a little taste but it is you know there is an expense of course to getting involved how's your bow experience been going because i've seen you shooting out there Good. Yeah. So now that I'm back in my house here, I have like actually yardage to play with. And yeah, the past week actually I've shot my bow a lot. It's been been going well. Um trying to work up in yardage and yeah, it's uh it's a cool That's new a thing. Animal. Yeah, so for me I, I have no expectations to get an elk with my bow this year, but even if I just go out there and I'm in it when they're bugling that's mm-hmm. all I want to experience. And who knows, maybe I will get lucky. You might, you um, did last year. <laughs> so yeah, you never know what can happen out there, but just being in that environment, I'm so stoked. And it's cool to learn new things, right? Like we're oh, adults. Yeah. You want to talk about like, you know, brain health, mental health, neuroplasticity is like the, some of the best, you know, yep. things you can do is learn new things, try new things. You know, you're an adult, like, are you actually learning new things um, physically too? Like how often are you like physically learning something new? Like how to shoot a bow, how to shoot a rifle, thinking about that, um, playing and learning a new instrument, like learning a new language. Like people don't really do these things anymore. Just trying a new sport. Like people are like, oh, you know, it's easier when you're younger. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, your brain's sharper when you're younger too. And if you don't sharpen that blade, it's going to go dull mm-hmm. fast. So mm-hmm. Be a, be a kid, be a child, try and learn a bunch of new things. You got to be your you. own Picasso. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to suck for me. It's like, I hate doing things that I'm like bad at, but then I've overcome this fear where it's like, what do I, what have I got to lose? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd tell you right now. I'm not even, I'm not a good shot. I got pretty lucky shooting that elk last year, but guess yeah. what? 
I'm gonna practice more and more, and I'm gonna get better. True and that. It doesn't matter. True that. Alrighty, folks. Anything else, Ryan? I think that's comments? it, man. Just stay tuned for future podcasts. We got some exciting ones. I'm I'm stoked to get the ones we just did out because, like I said, the in person in person conversations are not that the, I don't want to say they're more valuable, but like you get so much more out of it from that experience. And I think the audience feels that too. There's a reason why people watch Joe Rogan and he just sits down and has conversations, but he's in person with them. There's that dynamic, there's the body language. And so I think these ones are going to be very exciting. Couldn't agree more. So stay tuned for that folks. Check us out YouTube, subscribe, Spotify, Leave us a review, and I think you can follow so you get updated from the latest releases. Uh, we tweet them out. We're on Instagram posting clips. And, uh, yeah, check out our affiliates that we have in there. What I mentioned, the Bison Ranch. You can yep. follow us Family Ranches. Check that out. We also um, got EMR Tech from uh, Red Light Therapy. That will be up soon. I'll get that done. So we're working. We're going to keep going here. Tuesdays and Fridays is going to be our consistent schedule for podcasts. And then we're going to try and do these lives every two weeks on Wednesdays uh, for Mountain Time. So let us know in the comments. Shoot us a message on Instagram for anything you want to hear us talk about in these lives because it's kind of free form. Um, and yeah, we're happy to entertain questions. We can do a Q&A if you got questions. We'd be happy to answer them or try our best. Yeah.